Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Thirty-three-year-old Taylor Wright was a strong person, a woman who knew how to take care of herself. She had gone to college and majored in criminal justice. She had graduated from the police academy and was sworn in as a Jacksonville, North Carolina police officer in early 2008. Throughout her time as a police officer, she was dedicated to investigating cases and bringing wrongdoers to justice. She even wore a bracelet that had a charm on it in the shape of the scales of justice. Taylor was a woman who did not mince words, and no one who knew her would have ever described her as meek or afraid to speak her mind. But everyone loved her because of her kind heart and giving spirit. If you were Taylor's friend, she would do anything for you, and she expected the same loyalty in return. So when she went missing on September 8, 2017, many people felt that she may have vanished willingly, running away from the many problems that followed her. That was until October 19th when the skeletonized remains of Taylor Wright were found, buried under potting soil and concrete, wrapped tightly in a hammock with a bullet in her skull. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Crime Weekly. I'm Stephanie Harlow. And I'm Derek Lavasser. So this case that we're covering today, it's an interesting one. And I'm glad to be talking about it with you today, because even though it's been adjudicated and the culprit has been brought to justice, there's still a lot of people out there who think the police got the wrong person and that the person sitting behind bars for this crime may have been set up. And I understand why, because this is a case where there's really no physical evidence. It's a circumstantial case. In my opinion, it's a heavily circumstantial case, kind of like a Casey Anthony case. But still, when you don't have that physical evidence that ties somebody to a crime, such as like a murder weapon or DNA, there's a lot of questions left over. So I'm definitely looking forward to going through the timeline and the evidence with you, hear what you think. And if you believe at the end of it that there's a chance someone may be sitting in prison for life, wrongly accused of a crime they didn't commit. There's a large cast of characters in this case, a lot of relationships, emotions running high. So, you know, I'm going to start, I think, from the most obvious place. And that's with Taylor's background, who she was and how she came to be tangled up in situations that ultimately put her in danger. Yeah. And, you know. Before we get into it, and I think most people know this, but it is something to be said for it. I think there are some people out there that still believe when there's a trial that the prosecution must present something tangible or something that can be proven to say definitively this person did it. And that's your proof beyond a reasonable doubt. But it's important to note that prosecutions can put on a, a case where it's a series of things. Um, in totality that they believe prove beyond a reasonable doubt 
that the said individual committed the crime. There's many cases out there, case law you can look up where there's been murder convictions based solely on circumstantial evidence. Um, if you think about it, go a little old school, OJ is one of those cases where he was acquitted, but essentially the prosecution's case was based on a, a series of circumstantial evidence. It wasn't anything definitive that said, yeah, he did it. And so it's definitely possible. It doesn't always mean that, oh, you know what? They didn't present that smoking gun. I don't know definitively that they did it. There's no conversation or a video that proves they did. They should be found not guilty. No. If a common sense person, a reasonable person believes beyond a reasonable doubt that they committed the crime, they can still be found guilty in a court of law. Yeah. And I mean, I watched this trial um, online and it's kind of crazy. These trials get like super, super strict, you know, so somebody will be on the stand and then the the defense or the prosecution, they'll ask him a question and the person will say, yes, but and they'll try to like elaborate. Right. And explain. And the judge is like, shut up. Don't talk anymore. Just yes or no. Like You don't have to elaborate. And and I'm always here thinking like, no, but I wanted to hear what they had to say. Right. Because especially in a case like this where there is no physical evidence, like I want to hear everything that you have to say so that I can make sure this is actually something that, that should be happening. Personally, in this case, I, I feel like it, it's pretty clear what happened. But there are other there are other suspects. There's other scenarios that could have gone down. And I think a lot of people, when they don't have that smoking gun, like you said, it, it makes them uncomfortable to come back with guilty. And I think that's what happened, honestly, in, in O.J. Simpson's case and in Casey Anthony's case as well, that people just did not feel comfortable coming back with guilty without having that, that writing on the wall in front of them. Yeah. And just so you guys know, this is kind of similar to the format of the Lacey Peterson case we did where I know the overview. Stephanie sent me the script. She sent me some uh, resource material, but I'm going into this kind of blind with you guys. So I will be asking a lot of questions and hoping that they're probably some of the questions you guys are asking at home as well. So we'll we'll learn together and We'll, we'll I'll give you my opinion at the end, and I'm sure you guys will weigh in on in the comments as well. And I'm pretty sure with this case that I am well versed on it enough to answer any questions you might have because I've been kind of falling into the rabbit hole with this one for quite a right. while. You're thinking possibly not locking us in right now, but from our conversation before this, you're thinking this is probably a two parter, right? Two or more parts. All right, so let's talk about our victim, Taylor Wright. It seemed that Taylor Wright did not have an easy start in life. She was removed from her parents' home by DCF and placed in foster care at the age of 13. She was adopted a year later by a woman named Nancy Murchison. So this was actually her foster mother for that year. And Taylor grew up riding horses on Nancy's farm. This farm was located about three hours from Pensacola, Florida. Taylor met her husband, Jeff Wright, in the fall of 2003, and they soon got married and had a child together, a son they named Drake. In the fall of 2013, Taylor left her job in law enforcement, and roughly six months later, she and her husband and their son moved to Florida because Jeff Wright was in the military at that time and he was transferred there. At this point, it was reported that they were a happy family with no issues. But just a year later, in March of 2015, Jeff Wright moved out of the house, claiming that he and Taylor were constantly arguing, and he believed she had been having an affair, which she denied. But when Jeff moved out in March, a woman, the same woman that he claimed Taylor was dating, this woman moved in. But reportedly, Taylor was asked to leave this home, which was a rental, because she was arguing with this woman 
who we do believe she was romantically involved with. And these arguments with Taylor and and her girlfriend, they eventually led to law enforcement getting involved, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we've we've seen this before, which I feel like is super awkward because she was a cop. And then to not be a cop anymore and to have cops coming to your house for some domestic, you know, disputes, I, I feel like that would be a little embarrassing. Well, that was the first question that came to mind. I know you said she was a, a police officer. Was she a police officer at the time when all this was happening? No, because it looks like she... She left the police department before her husband got transferred for for the military. Okay. Okay. So this, although this was happening afterwards, because I was wondering if maybe that contributed to her maybe leaving law enforcement later, you know, was there something that was said by her chief or something like that, where she decided to get out of law enforcement because no official charges, but as you mentioned, it's embarrassing, but it's also unethical if you're, if you're constantly being uh, tied up with law enforcement for things that you're doing and you're not a victim, you're in a, you know, you're an, an evolved participant that, that definitely isn't a good look. And we got to make sure that we have people who are enforcing the laws, uh, at work, but also at home. So I will say that her, her superior, when she was a police officer had nothing but glowing things to say about her. Okay. She was, she was amazing. Um, but also, I think a lot of the times we cover these cases and we talk about the victim and we're like, oh, this this victim was the best person in the world. Everybody loved this person. She'd walk into a room and sunshine would shoot out of her ears. She just made the whole place light up. And that's not because we're choosing to say that and we're editing out all the bad stuff. It just so happens that usually when people are murdered, there's not a lot of, of people who are going to come out and say negative things about them. However, we do also know that everyone who is a a victim, a murder victim, they're only human and there might be some negative things in their life. And you'll see Taylor Wright was no angel, right? Uh, None of us are. Um, I was just going to say that. None of us, none of us are. Yeah. But I mean, she did things and she behaved in certain ways where somebody might say, oh, that's, that's not, that's not good. But at the same time, at the end of the day, as we go through this, we're telling you this because we want you to have a full picture, but try, try to remember that this woman was murdered and, and so we're not going to judge her for things she did in her past because nothing she did in her past would make make it okay that she was murdered. Of course. And let, I think I draw the line for me personally. Uh, I agree with everything you said as far as like, you know, ultimately sometimes people, you know, do things that they regret and nobody deserves to be killed unless you're a convicted child molester. Then I really don't care what happens to you. Well, that's she, my was, personal she was not. <laughs> she was not. But I think that's for me where ethically I draw the line where if I hear about a convicted child molester, something bad happening to them, I don't usually shed a tear. Absolutely not. Okay. And, and, just, just, and trust, we're never going to cover those kinds of cases where the victim is a convicted a child, child molester. molester because yeah, we'll, we'll save that for someone else. Yeah, someone else can do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. We're on, the, we're on the same page. Same page. So in June of 2015, Jeff Wright actually filed for divorce. And the next month, Taylor was arrested and charged with battery after she assaulted her husband, Jeff who later requested that the charges against Taylor be dropped. Taylor moved around a little bit. She she kind of stuck to Florida and the South. She was in Destin for a bit, but she eventually settled in Pensacola, Florida, where she began working as a private investigator. She worked as a subcontractor for two larger private investigation firms whose clients were mostly insurance companies. But she also was trying to build her own PI business. She had plans to grow and expand her company. And when I was reading this, obviously, I thought about you because it's similar to what you're doing. Yeah. And I work in a lot of similar situations where, you know, I have a firm. We do a lot of insurance cases. 
I work for a, a multiple multiple law firms, so I I can definitely relate to her already. As you're saying it, I'm thinking about I how I started. I was a little more fortunate because I had a TV show to help me grow the firm. But this is the this is the path that most PIs take. They start working for someone else, kind of get their legs under the you know under them, learn the business, and then go off on their own. They strike out on their own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was here in Pensacola that Taylor met Cassandra Waller in the spring of 2017. The two connected on a dating app. And for Cassandra, there was an immediate connection. Cassandra said, quote, we were in a relationship for a short period of time, but enough time to have sincere feelings and to say that I loved this person. And she told me that she loved me back, end quote. So Cassandra was incredibly smitten by Taylor, who she described as kind and an outgoing person who would give you the shit off her back, the kind of woman who was full of life, energy, and hope, and she had a lot of big ideas for the future. Taylor wanted to expand her business so that she and Cassandra could buy a nice house and live there with Taylor's son, Drake, who was six years old in 2017. There were some problems and roadblocks to this picture-perfect future, however, and we're going to talk about that after the first break. Okay, we're back. So, like I like we were talking about before the break, Taylor Taylor Wright had some personal issues, but she really was kind of looking forward to the future. She wanted a fresh start. She wanted to put everything behind her. But before she was able to put everything behind her, she had some things to tie up first. One of the main things that was going on in her life was she's obviously going through a contentious divorce and custody battle with her husband, Jeff Wright. Jeff had claimed that Taylor had assaulted him twice during their marriage. She had threatened to end his career, and she also had put a GPS tracker on his vehicle. Now, Taylor had voluntarily given Jeff custody of their son, Drake, when their divorce was finalized in 2016. But at the time of her disappearance, she was fighting tooth and nail to regain custody of Drake. Taylor and Jeff had a joint bank account that had been frozen during the divorce, but when it was unfrozen in June of 2017, Taylor withdrew $100,000 from this account, and apparently that was against court orders. Now, Taylor's girlfriend, Cassandra, claimed that this money had been awarded to Taylor at the time of the divorce once they had sold the house and kind of split up the assets and things like this was the money that Taylor should have gotten But Jeff Wright said that at least 30,000 of that money belonged to him. And he also went to court in order to recover $4,200 of back child support from his ex-wife. This was granted, so she would have to pay that $4,200. And Taylor was also ordered to pay $600 a month to Jeff for child support going forward. The divorce documents also noted that Taylor was secretive about her work. And she did not disclose her employment records to the court even after being ordered to do so. The documents also claim that Taylor had large amounts of unexplained income, several hidden bank accounts, and she had been deceptive and evasive about where this money was coming from. So essentially, when Taylor took that $100,000 out of the bank account she shared with her ex-husband, whether or not that money was legally hers, it, it didn't matter because she had not been given permission by the court to do that yet. They were still in these legal battles, and and now they were facing more legal battles with Jeff Wright and Taylor about this money, as well as in reference to their prior custody arrangement. Jeff was fighting with Taylor in court to get her to pay him back, but she'd hidden the money somewhere. And friends who were with Taylor during this time, they claimed she had a win-at-all-costs attitude when it came to legal battles with Jeff. She had made it very clear that she did not want to give any money back to him, and she would do whatever it took to avoid doing so. 
but Taylor was not just having problems with her ex-husband. There was some turbulence in her new relationship with Cassandra Waller. At the end of July 2017, Taylor and Cassandra were at the home of a mutual friend, a woman named Ashley MacArthur. Ashley was a close friend of Taylor's in Pensacola, so close that Taylor actually had a key to her house, and Ashley was actually the person that Taylor had turned to when she wanted to hide some of the money she'd withdrawn against court orders from the bank account she shared with her ex-husband, Jeff. So apparently Taylor had been at Ashley's home when her girlfriend Cassandra showed up to meet her there, but Ashley, who lived at the house, was not home at the time. She would join the couple later on. According to Cassandra, it was at this time that she discovered something about her girlfriend Taylor that really hurt her. Cassandra found out that Taylor had been seeing another woman, a woman who lived in Biloxi, Mississippi. Taylor had been carrying on a relationship with this other woman for some time. Additionally, Taylor admitted to Cassandra that she'd been experimenting with illegal drugs, cocaine to be specific, but she'd only done this three times. So Cassandra was obviously shocked by this revelation, and she broke things off with Taylor for roughly a week. But after some time had passed, Cassandra figured she wanted to make things work because she deeply cared for Taylor. And so she suggested that Taylor move in with her. So that's a lot. What, what's your take so far? It's quite the opposite reaction, huh? It's like I know. goes from, you know what? I'm disappointed in everything you're doing. We should move in together. Um, but we're not here for that. It sounds like at this point, there's really, we're not, you know, we're, I think you're building this, you know, the case as far as I'm, I'm sure that some of these individuals you've mentioned, Ashley, Cassandra, they're all going to play into the story down the road. So I know we're building a baseline here. Definitely a lot to unpack there. Um, what do you think about sim- the ex-husband, Jeff, and like the fact that he said she she had assaulted him several times during their marriage? You know, based on some of the things you're telling me afterwards, and I never want we you know we talked about domestic violence on this on this show with with Gabby Petito. Um, it sounds to me like there may be some truth to that, and that's going just from the surface level. It seems like just from what you've shared so far that Taylor was going through going through it. She was going through some things. Um, I wonder if she had already been experimenting with uh, drugs at that point as well. That was maybe inhibiting her decision-making process. But again, that's all speculation. So I do tend to believe Jeff as far as what he's accusing her of. Doesn't seem like she pushed back too too much. And also, the fact that she turned over custody to her husband doesn't seem like she put up too much of a fight. And if she did... It's very difficult for me. I know some people that are going through a divorce and very difficult to for the father to get even partial custody, never mind full custody, because in, in Rhode Island, at least, custody usually favors the mother. I don't know how it is where they are, but to think that he got full custody and she was ordered to pay child support. That says something to me. Well, she willingly gave him custody. That's what I was saying initially. So it sounds like she didn't put up much of a fight. So that's a little bit of a red flag to me because I think most of us can say that's not what we would do as parents. Right. Is that fair? Well, she didn't put up any fight initially. Right. When the divorce was finalized. I mean, I I think it's more of a I know I don't I don't have my stuff together right now, so right. let me do that so I have something to give my son, and then we'll revisit this this question of custody more, right. more likely, right? Right. So to answer your question, the fact that Jeff accused her of domestic assault and then she didn't put up much of a fight down the road seems like 
She was kind of admitting to some of it, at least like, yeah, I'm with you. I got some things to work out. And then you talk about some of the behavior she admitted to as far as Cassandra's concerned. It seems like she was still going through it. As far as the hundred grand, I mean, you could be looking at something. I think for the most part that would be handled or was being handled civilly. Mm-hmm. It's a large amount of money. Yeah. Um. And And as you pointed out, you know, it's something where you might believe you're entitled to that money. And maybe once the court process is over, you'll get it. But if you remove it before the judge has made that official determination and there's no court order saying that you did should be able to do that, you can get in a lot of trouble. At minimum, you're going to be held in contempt of court. But I think the more severe situation is it could be considered a larceny, a felony at that point. So um, it does seem like that whole win at all cost mantra that her friends were, you know, saying she was following hundred grand. That's a big, that's a big risk. And as a former law enforcement officer, she definitely was aware of that. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's more her overriding personality. I think this was her personality. Like she seemed kind of like, uh, you know, she was a tough girl. She always carried a gun. She knew how to use them. She knew how to defend herself. She was trained in hand to hand combat as she would be as, as a police officer. And I think she, she was kind of a badass. But when you're kind of a badass, sometimes you get this false sense that you can sort of get away with things, right? That you can sort of do things and there won't be repercussions because you're quicker or smarter and you know the ins and outs. And it didn't seem that it went well for her. I get the general impression. This is just my opinion. I don't know Taylor or any of these people. But I get the general impression that Taylor was the the kind of person who was living one quarter mile at a time, right? Like Fast and the Furious. You You really just quoted Fast. I was just going to say, you just quoted Fast and the Furious. Yeah, I mean, this is just the, you know, the like kind of a badass, like very spontaneous, you know, just kind of going, not thinking too far ahead in the future, just kind of living day by day. And as somebody who's done that before, it can catch up to you. And it's never good, never good when it catches up to you. I got a question for you. Hmm. And I think I think I know what you were explaining in there. But so there was a uh, there was a previous woman with Jeff. Right. She ends up dating that woman. That's Cassandra. Right. That's the woman that she was having an affair with. Or is that a different woman? woman. Okay, so different woman with Cassandra. So she's having an affair with another woman. Jeff, that woman's out of the picture. Mm -hmm. Now she starts dating Cassandra. Cassandra. And you mentioned this woman, Ashley MacArthur. Uh, I don't know if you're going to go there yet, but but did she? Was there anything more than just a friendship with them? Because I believe, if I if I heard you correctly, you mentioned MacArthur, but then the woman that Taylor admitted to, you know, having a, you know an affair, an affair with. with was a different woman, not MacArthur. Wasn't no. So as far as I can tell, there was nothing romantic between Taylor and Ashley. Now, Ashley will later make some allegations that Taylor used to hit on her all the time, et cetera, et cetera. But it doesn't look like it ever anything ever happened. It just was that Ashley MacArthur was a close friend of Taylor's in Pensacola. She was helping her hide the money and Taylor had a key to her house. So for some reason, this is never explained, instead of talking about this very serious topic like at their own home or at Cassandra's house or at uh, Taylor's house, they go to Ashley's to have this conversation when Ashley isn't home. But Ashley eventually did come home in the middle of this conversation, okay. which was not going well. But Taylor was was admitting to having an affair with another woman who lived a in Biloxi. Yeah. Okay. So th- there's a lot of there's a lot of women in this whole. I'm trying to make sure I have them in order. So the conversation happened at MacArthur's house, but it wasn't MacArthur that 
Taylor was referring to as far as no, the affair. A different okay. woman. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm writing the names down here and I'm like, okay, we get, we're up to five women so far. That, and I mean, you know, yeah, exactly. And obviously like when Cassandra and Taylor start dating, you know, sometimes you talk about your past relationships, why they went wrong. So it's very likely that Taylor was like, yeah, Cassandra, you know, my husband, Jeff and I divorced because I was, I was having an affair with a different right. woman. And now Cassandra finds out that Taylor's essentially doing the same thing to her that she did to Jeff. So there's going to be a huge break in trust here. And this was a fairly new relationship. They had just started dating in the spring of 2017. And Taylor goes missing in September of 2017. What What is your opinion your, from your perspective as a woman, you know, where somebody comes to you and says, I'm experimenting in drugs and I'm, I, I cheated on you. What's the rationale? Like, is there any way you can explain why Cassandra would think the smart move is to move in with that person? Of course I can explain. Okay, but, hit me with it. But now, in my older, wiser years, after having gone through situations like this, now I would say, no, like it's done. I'm cutting you off. I'm not going to answer the call anymore because it just gets worse from there. Is right? it a control thing? Like no. I can I can keep an eye on you this way? No, I think with Cassandra, she really fell hard for Taylor. Um, she said, I love you, you know, very early on. So I think that she she's blinded by that. Like love is blind. And and when you're in that situation and listen, I was with somebody who who was using drugs and I found out after I, I was already, you know, pretty deep in and I was like, I can fix this. <laughs> you know, I can I can okay. I can save him. He's a good guy aside for this. I, I can save him. And uh, it, it usually it does. It, it can work. But it usually doesn't. Does and then you well. throw the cheating thing in too, right? So, ugh. yeah, yeah, there was a lot there. It, it was I did not see you going there, where it was going to be like, okay, so this happened, this happened, and then a week later they decided to move in together. I was like, oh, okay. So All I right. think the so the moving in thing, I do think that might have been a little bit of a control thing. Like I'll keep you close where I can watch you, and it was. I, I, I would agree. That and that was probably not even a covert decision, you know. Like, Sandra, oh yeah, like you're using yeah. drugs. I want to help you. Yeah, Cassandra was probably like, okay, like you are no longer in control of yourself, so stay with me, and then I will support you in this. But Cassandra also claimed that it was Taylor's idea to basically allow Cassandra to register her fingerprint on Taylor's phone. So you know, like now that our phones unlock with our faces, weird. But before. Um, the the new technology in, in 2007 was the iPhones and you could put your thumbprint on it and unlock it. So what what Taylor did was say, hey, you put your thumbprint in my phone so that you can go on my phone and you can look and see what I'm doing at any time. And this will hopefully help repair some trust. Yeah, I mean, I, I wish I could say I haven't heard that before, but I have like, yeah. you know, hey, add my passcode to your phone as well. You know, if there's there's a sign, you know, former infidelity or just distrust in general. I don't necessarily have a huge problem with that, but I think, and we're not relationship doctors here, but I it's probably not it. a good sign if that's no. if that's a direction you're going down. If you have to get to that point, it might be, again, we talk about signs of domestic violence and what could happen in the future. If you're at the point where you're putting uh, your passcodes in each other's phones because there's so much distrust there, probably not going to end well. Or you have like I a mean, shared, there's exceptions to the rule. Or you have like a shared Facebook, you know? Yeah. You've seen those, I mean, right? Oh, cringy. I have seen those. I got to be careful what I say right now because I have friends that listen to this and I think a couple of them do share Facebooks. Well, I can tell them for you that in okay. my opinion, that's weird. 
guys. That's weird. Okay. Don't do that. Okay. Because at this point, when you have your, when you like know your significant other can enter your phone at any time and you're on the same Facebook so they can see who you're talking to and whose pictures you're liking, this becomes like a parent child dynamic. It's very odd. Um, we are not on equal footing any longer. And there's this constant reminder every single day that there's no trust between you. Right. So if you don't trust someone, end it. <laughs> but don't put them through this, this torture because it only I, gets worse. I've definitely seen times where it's like A and B, like that's their name, like it's both their names and it has an and in between. It. And I'm like, so who's commenting? Is it A or B? Exactly. <laughs> like, what's going- it's just too who's confusing. Like, I'm like, who am I talking to? Am I talking to him or am I talking to her right that's now? That's what they I, want you to wonder. Yeah. That way you watch what you say. You know what I mean? I mean if they if, if they start asking me questions that are could be bad for the guy or the girl, I'm like, mm, I'm on to this. I'm out. It's just super, super weird. Yeah. I, I, I'll plead the fifth because I think I do have – I'm thinking about it in my head as you're speaking and I'm like, who do I have? Who do I have? Because – I don't want to be at the next party. Oh, I got like, friends. So. I got friends who share Facebooks too. I don't care. I'll tell Ooh, them all day. Get some text to, messages. I've already told them it's weird. As soon as I see it, I'm sending them a Facebook message, and I'm like, I don't know if this is Jack or Jeanette, but y'all are weird. Did you just use real names? Maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe not. J and J. But listen, uh, it's it's weird because at that point, there's there's nothing there, and I understand the need to put these measures in place because you want to hold on to this relationship that you've romanticized. But when there's no trust, man, it's over. It's over. I'm ready for the comments, by the way. There's going to be some comments out of the comments they're we get. They're going to feel personally like, attacked. Well, I yeah. have a, a joint Facebook page, and it's not because I don't trust my husband. It's because blah, 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 blah. Yep, I'm sure there's the, there's the exception to every rule, guys. But the majority of people who are doing that, you know why there's they're a, doing it. Stop a, there's it. an underlying uh, reason for it. But there's the exception to every rule, and I'm sure that you are that exception. <laughs> We go. All right. Should we take a quick break? Yes. Let's so do we it. can, so I can go and you know block myself on Facebook so I don't get angry messages. All right. We'll yeah, be right back. Good call. <laughs> okay, we're back. So Taylor and Cassandra, they have some broken trust. You know, there's there's some issues there, and Taylor agreed to move in with Cassandra, and so they borrowed a box truck from their friend Ashley MacArthur. We'll talk about her in a minute, but she has access to this box truck. And Taylor basically packed up all her possessions, put them in this truck. But for a while, this truck with her things, it just sat in the driveway of Cassandra's house at 725 Berkeley Drive in Pensacola, Florida. So we got some complicated relationships. And right off the bat, we kind of have a handful of suspects. We got the ex-husband, Jeff. You know, there's been um, abuse and violence in the in the relationship, whoever it came from, that's still can cause some ruptures. We yeah, have, the mot- motive too, by the way, exactly. 100 grand, 100 grand missing. Money. That's 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 definitely enough for someone to do something stupid. Her trying to get custody of their son and maybe he's yep. like, I, I don't mind you having visitation, but I don't feel comfortable at this point mm-hmm. with you taking him full time. You know, so there's a lot there. We got the new girlfriend, Cassandra. You know, she's she's feeling a little slighted and she's trying to sort of control uh, Taylor and rein her in. And then we got the friend Ashley who was helping t- Taylor hide the stolen money. So right. all of these people, we could see where their motive would be to want to see Taylor gone, whether those motives were financial or emotional. Yeah. You think about the money with 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 Ashley. It's like, hey, she's hiding all this money for her. So there's really no paper trail that <laughs> it's it's Taylor's money. So if Taylor disappears, 
that money's Ashley's now, right? Because she doesn't quote unquote have it, right? She doesn't know where it is. Well, so there there is a paper trail, but right. like you said, with Taylor gone, who's going to say that she didn't just give her that money? Correct. Yeah. There's no, it's her story is the only story left. If that's, you know, the way it goes. Oh, you know, that was my money. She owed that to me exactly. for X, Y, Z. So, and everyone knew, you know, that Taylor's son, Drake, was the most important person to her. Like, everyone did say that about her. There were some people who were like, yeah, you know, she she had some issues. But when it came to her son, that was it. They were incredibly close. And although she wasn't able to see him or, you know, tuck him into bed 365 days a year, she did always make the most of their time together. So that summer, actually, the summer before she went missing, she and Drake had the time of their lives. Taylor took him to water parks in Florida, in New Orleans. She liked to go to New Orleans. She went She went there often. Just in, in 2017, I think she was there like three times. She also brought him go-karting to the movies. And at the beginning of August, she brought him to visit with her mother at her mother's farm. So on August 13th, Taylor had to bring Drake back to his father and apparently this was not the smoothest of handoffs. And Jeff Wright had felt it necessary to have law enforcement present at this time. So um, I don't know exactly what he was doing in 2017 when she went missing, but I do know a couple of years later when he testified at the trial, he was working for the Department of Justice. So he was in the military, and and then it looked like he kind of transitioned from the military into working for the U.S. government. Okay. Didn't really say what he did there, just kind of DOJ. Yeah, when he was <laughs> when he was interviewed, they said, "What do you do for a living?" And he said, "I work for the Department of Justice," and that's it. And yeah. they, there's really not a lot out there about what he does. That's usually the case, right? He's probably like an FBI agent or something. Who knows? Who knows? And you know, it, it is funny because even though it seemed that there there was obviously hostility between Taylor and Jeff in, in a, a negative history, as well as you know some hostility between Taylor and Cassandra. Both Jeff and Cassandra spoke very highly of Taylor. So listen to this. Jeff Wright, he said, quote, Taylor is one of the most highly socially intelligent people I've ever met. She has an amazing knack for knowing what people want and providing it. If she were a D&D character, she would have a first strike charisma score of 18. That's pretty damn hard to roll against. As such, she's an incredible salesman, negotiator, interrogator, and good time Charlie. Her passions in life are connected to this. She wants happy, positive social energy. She wants validation, adulation, and attention. This made her a great cop. She genuinely wanted to help people and was effective at both doing good as a protector and busting bad guys as an investigator. She was selected for a self-directed street crimes unit over much more senior officers because of her drive and ability to drum up information and cooperation where others could not. She is extroverted and genuinely interested in other people. She is quick to give gifts, attention, sympathy, compassion, and to form exceptionally tight bonds with people after knowing them for a short while, end quote. Real so, quick before you continue, yeah, is th- was this statement made before or after? After, or- after she went missing. After she went missing. Before she was found dead. Okay, so let's go back to that moment. I mean, do you think he's saying this because he believes it? Do you think he's saying it because at this moment he knows that she's probably not coming back? You know, what's the reason? What's the rationale behind? Could he be saying this because he's thinking, hey, I don't want to be looked at as a suspect? What do you think? Or is this just genuine? I think it's 100% genuine. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, at this point, you have to understand something about Taylor was this kind of wasn't out of character for her to sort of disappear, go off the map. You know, she she lived one day at a time and she she just did her own thing. 
often. So I don't think initially that that the people who knew her very well, like Jeff, were thinking she met with foul play. They thought maybe she was just off and she'd come back. Um, but he seemed, yeah, he seemed to genuinely sort of admire her. Like you can love somebody and not like them, right? That's, <laughs> not live with them. Yeah, yeah you, you, I, I agree. You can definitely have respect for someone, love them, and just know that you're two different people. Was this quote said? On like a news outlet, was it said like behind closed doors to friends? No. Like, so get this: when Taylor went missing, obviously web sleuths, which is great. I love web sleuths, by the way. They are some of the most professional internet like investigators. You know, armchair detectives, whatever you want to call them. Web sleuths always gets it right. So they started a web sleuth thread for for Taylor when she went missing, and both Cassandra and Jeff Wright ended up on this thread. And then the the moderator, the person who started the thread, asked them questions like, who was Taylor? What was she like? What was she interested in? What were her passions and her hobbies? And they responded with these answers. Okay. So I was thinking maybe if it was a TV thing, he could have been like trying to speak to her through the news in case she saw it and she was uncertain of whether or not to come home or not. So this was like them just trying to be cooperative and trying to help the, the web sleuths. Yeah. Find this person they care about. Find Taylor. Yeah, because they really wanted her to be found. Not a very common thing you would see, huh? Because, I mean, as you said earlier, both of these individuals, both Jeff and Cassandra. They're going to be number one and two. Yeah. yeah, Both persons of interest, especially Jeff. Yeah. So for him to put himself out there, probably at the, uh, (laughs) not at the request of his attorney, they probably told him not to do that. Um, If he even asked. Yeah. If but, he even yeah, talked I mean, to them, you know, he's not going to say I'm on this web sleuths forum and I'm going to start answering say, questions. I, you don't think that they would be like, hey, listen, you know, because he had to know like he was being monitored at that point or, you know, at least looked into. I honestly think that in 2021, we kind of have this impression of the spouse or the ex-spouse of victims reacting in a in one of two ways right either going out there and everybody says they look suspicious or staying quiet and everybody says they look suspicious but in 2007 yeah, it, in 2007 it wasn't really like that um it wasn't yeah, that's fair yeah that's fair that's fair still like, kudos to him i mean i don't know where we're going with this yet i don't you know but it's you know initially i'm thinking oh the, you know the husband's probably good for this financial motive child involved you know tumultuous relationship you know, they've had multiple encounters with the police. Was there a situation where they didn't call the police and it got worse? And, you know, this was, an, you know, intentional or even accidental. So that's where I was at. But to think, I mean, if he is involved, if we find out he is involved, then he's got balls going on this thing. But we'll, we'll see what happens. Well, you'll see that the timeline, it makes it look even worse for him. But we'll get there. So yeah. when asked about Taylor, her girlfriend, Cassandra Waller, said, quote, Taylor stayed busy with work a lot, so she didn't dabble a lot in hobbies or things besides socializing with people slash friends when she wasn't working. She was compassionate, paid attention to details, was always there for me, was always funny, smart, worked hard. We could talk about anything, end quote. So even though there were some traits about Taylor that both Jeff and Cassandra were not super fond of, it had almost seemed like they were essentially still under her spell which can be the case a lot of the times with a really, truly charismatic and magnetic person and personality. And from all accounts, we can assume and we can see that Taylor Wright had this kind of personality. Like somebody said about her in one of the documentaries they did, 
there was no strangers to Taylor. She never met a stranger. She would meet somebody and and she would have that person feeling that they were best friends within minutes. And I feel like you kind of have that same kind of personality, which is as I was researching this, I said, you know, I feel like this is very interesting. It's like the female Derek sort of, except for the coke. <laughs> the coke exactly. and, the, and the cheating and the, you know, bringing, bringing different women to live in your house or... <laughs> Except for hey, those things. Know? Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. Know. I shouldn't it was, assume. <laughs> <laughs> it, I mean, it's, um, you know, I think a, a lot with um, good police officers, good detectives, that is a trait that you commonly find an ability to adapt, right? To kind of find and relate, find commonalities with even the most different of people, you know, in, in your profession, our job is communication. And in many cases, we're going there and I always say this when I was working as a police officer, when the police show up, it's usually not for something good. You know, my brother's a firefighter and we always bust each other's chops because he's like, hey, everyone gets excited when they see the firefighters. When everyone sees the cops, they know that the the, the people coming to shut down the party are here. Yo, why do people get excited when they see firefighters? I mean, something's on fire, man. Well, because they're coming to help you. If they're there, it's because they're coming to help. When we come, it's because we're coming to give you a ticket we're coming to shut down the party or we're coming to arrest someone. So, it, it, you know, it, it is interesting where the po- you show the up The police somewhere. are coming to help too, man. Come on. <laughs> yeah. In many, in some cases. Hey, listen, you're, you're preaching to the choir here. No, okay? That's true. <laughs> you're, you're preaching to the choir here. But, um, you know, it's one of those things where you have to find ways to relate to someone who may have a initial impression before you even open your mouth that's not in the best light. And you have to find a way to connect with them almost immediately because this isn't something you get to build over the next couple months. You have to develop a relationship with them right there so that they're hearing what you have to say and receptive to whatever information you're trying to relay to them. They trust you. You have to. Yeah. That trust. Exactly. So the fact that Jeff was saying earlier, you know, Taylor was a good cop. She was able to move up the ranks. She was able to excel and get assigned to task task force, even though there were more senior officers is indicative of someone who's a good communicator, not only a good police officer. So everything you're saying after that totally lines up with with what we've been hearing about her all along, what made her successful at what she did. Yeah, I don't want to say necessarily that she very strongly knew the difference between right and wrong, but I do think she very strongly felt the need to protect who she considered were innocent people and go after the bad guys, you know. So that, yeah. that means something. And something a little inside that it's it's reminding me, I'm not going to say names, but I have known some incredible police officers, not only from my department, but just incredible police officers that had their own demons. And even though when they put on the badge and the gun and were out on uniform, they were unbelievable. They had things in their past that prevented them from staying a police officer. They made mistakes outside of work whether that was substance abuse or whatever it may be, and it affected their ability to be a police officer any longer. And it's unfortunate that you have good police officers lose their jobs because of things they're doing outside of work, but what you're doing off duty is just as important as what you're doing on duty. But again, just because you're good at what you do as a police officer doesn't necessarily mean you're making the right decisions in your personal life. And Taylor reminds me a lot of one officer in particular that I'm thinking of, who had a substance abuse issue, someone I always looked up to was a supervisor in some cases. And and ultimately the extracurricular activity outside of work was ultimately why he uh, resigned down the road. 
I would argue that those are the best cops, though, the ones that struggle with their own demons because other right. you have something like a, it's a great point, an ego death, you know, like if you have a perfect life and you got no problems and you have, you know, just everything's going great for you, you can kind of get a little bit of an ego. But a, a person who has an, a break in their ego, who's been kind of beaten down, they're more relatable and they're more human. And they can also look at somebody and not look at them in black and white terms like criminal, non-criminal. They can look at even a person who does something wrong and say, OK, you did something bad, but let's see how we can work through this. I'm not going to just throw the book at you for one bad thing you did if you can do good things going forward. Completely agree. I think it came down to not this particular person, but it came down to you have someone who has the authority to arrest someone and, and basically alter their life because of a DUI, right? But they're out there doing something similar on their off time where they're being stopped by police officers. Yeah, like into- no throwing the first stone kind of thing. Yeah, it's yeah. hypocritical. It's unethical. It's it's illegal. And so even if you, you know, we'll just say maybe they, they, they get home okay, it doesn't make it right. And when it gets up the chain of command, even if there's not an arrest, you usually don't get a second shot. I know people think you do. But uh, that isn't always the case. I know many officers who've lost their jobs because of things that they did that the public never knew about. Mm -hmm. Hey, do we need to take a break really quick? We definitely should. All right, let's do that. Okay, we're back. So, you know, we we talked about how both of the the kind of important love interests in Taylor's life, they they both really thought positively about her. But Taylor was starting to feel some pressure from Jeff and from the legal system in the fall of 2017. She owed back and current child support to Jeff, and the court had ordered her to put the money that she'd withdrawn from their bank account into an escrow account. So she didn't have to put all the money back, right? Because Jeff said only about 30000 of it was was actually his. So the rest actually did belong to her. She just kind of jumped the gun a little bit. And as soon as the accounts were unfrozen, she went in there, pulled out the money, and she pulled out too much. So she had to put the money back into an account, an escrow account. Do you know what an escrow account is? Yeah, escrow. I know from like, basically, it's an account that's going to be used for something. And it goes into like a medium, like a middle man, if you want to call before it's actually dispersed to wherever it's going to go. Yeah, that's the the only time I've ever run across that term is in buying a house. Yeah. I think it's to prove that the funds are there. Yeah. It's in escrow, mm-hmm. right? It's to, hey, listen, we don't need them yet, but we want to at least see that they're there. So I think in this case, you know, they want to, sh- they want, the court wanted her to show, I have the money to give back to yeah. them. We're not going to give it to them yet, but we at least want to know you didn't spend it all. Well, spoiler alert, she didn't have the money, right? Mm. So she was supposed to have done this before a scheduled court date, which was September 7th, 2017. But The day before this court date, her lawyer sent a letter to the court requesting a continuance. This letter claimed that Taylor wanted to go and help her mother prepare for Hurricane Irma, which began as a low-pressure system in the eastern Atlantic on August 30th, 2017. But it picked up strength as it rolled inland, and by September 7th, hurricane warnings were being issued for Florida and the Keys. Now, I will say this. It doesn't look like Taylor ever did go to her mother's farm to help her batten down the hatches. Um, And from what I could tell, Hurricane Irma didn't really hit Florida until after Taylor was already missing. And Jeff Wright claims that this was probably just an excuse to buy time, saying, quote, it was a pattern of delay and seeking continuance at every opportunity, end quote. But why would Taylor have needed to buy time if she took the money out and she'd given it to her friend Ashley for safekeeping? Wouldn't it be just as easy to get the money and then deposit it in the escrow account? 
Well, apparently not as easy as we'd like to think. Text messages between Taylor and her friend Ashley MacArthur at this time show that Taylor was putting a lot of pressure on Ashley to get her money back. But it also turns out that the money was kind of in the wind. Ashley had spent it. So let's talk about Ashley for a minute. Ashley MacArthur had actually worked as a crime scene technician for the Escambia County Sheriff's Office right there in Florida before she began sort of working at her family business and running her family business. And this business was called Pensacola Automatic Amusement. So this is basically, like I said, she's got a big warehouse. She's got all these trucks and stuff for delivery purposes, because what they do is they have pinball machines and like arcade games, pool tables, jukeboxes and stuff. And they rent these things out to bars and businesses around town. So if you go into like a bar and you're putting money in for a jukebox, usually that bar is not getting that money. It's going to the the person who owns that jukebox. And um, so they had a big warehouse. They've got all these trucks and stuff. And and Ashley was basically in charge of everything. So this was a company her parents had started, and she just sort of took over naturally. Ashley was also married to a man named Zach MacArthur. He used to be a police officer there in Florida. Zach was her second husband, it looks like. She was married once previously. and he Wow. Had, Crime scene technician, yeah. the Department of Justice. I know. Sher- I know. Wow. It's crazy. Okay. All right. Here we are. I mean, honestly, when you look at it like that, you kind of wonder how anybody was caught. <laughs> I mean, damn. I mean, what else? Do we, we were just missing a chief of police, FBI. I mean, we're, we we have everybody else at this point. A canine? <laughs> yeah, they, just, their pet dog was a retired was canine, canine I'm dog. For I'm waiting for it. <laughs> well, um, he, Zach and Ashley had gotten married in 2014. But it looked like Zach had gotten into a car accident and he received a large settlement for this, roughly $60,000 in the spring of 2017. And to me, they never really explicitly say this, but it doesn't look like at the time in 2017, Zach was working. So most likely this car accident kind of, you know, messed him up a little bit. Right. And he doesn't seem like he's holding any job at this point. But when he gets this large settlement, he just he basically hands this money over to his wife, Ashley, because she was the one who who managed their finances. Zach would later testify that he had no idea like how much money they had, what the state of their finances were. He said he basically just had a debit card that he would use when he needed to purchase something. And then Ashley would take care of everything else. He said he has no idea like what's going on. He didn't even know how many bank accounts they had or Ashley had in her name or in her business's name. But as it turned out, Ashley had quite a few bank accounts. Taylor had given Ashley a $34,000 cashier's check. The check was made out to Taylor Wright. And Ashley was supposed to keep the check hidden in a safety deposit that she claimed she had in her name. So, spoiler alert once again, no safety deposit box existed. There was no safety deposit box. On August 10th, Ashley added Taylor's name to one of her bank accounts. But then on August 16th, Ashley took that check for $34,000 and deposited it into her bank account. And then she basically transferred that $34,000 out of the account that had Taylor's name in it and put it into an account that didn't have Taylor's name on it, right? So Taylor had no idea that Ashley had ever cashed this check. She thought the check was sitting in paper form in a safety deposit box. And so by the time Taylor began asking Ashley for the check back, that money was long gone. It was spent by Ashley on a number of things that we'll talk about later because it's crazy 
Like you made jokes about other law enforcement people. There's really I don't think any other law enforcement people, but there's other cast of characters that are still going to pop in here that are going to surprise you. Well, I'll say this uh, without getting too ahead of myself. You know, I'm looking at Jeff initially. You know, I talked about him earlier as far as motives and things like that. I mean, I think we're looking at a pretty good motive. Uh, Ashley was kind of somebody who you brought her up in passing, well played by you, you know? So it's one of those things where you're looking at her and you're thinking she just might be a character or a witness that may come into play later. Now we're talking about an extremely strong motive, financial, right? A financial motive where she's committed a crime, right? She's committed an actual crime, a felony. She's clearly aware of the implications of what she did. She has a you know, she's a crime scene technician. She has a former uh, boyfriend who was a former police officer. She oh, a seems husband. Like she's, a re- she's married to a, a cop, husband. I'm sorry. Basically. A hu- yeah. Yeah. So and, and even if not, I think we know that if you steal thirty four thousand dollars from someone, that's a big deal. So when you want to talk about motive, I don't know where we're going to go with this. But yeah, uh, Ashley's right there with Jeff now. Well, so here's the thing. At first, I was confused because I'm going through the timeline. And I'm like, why would she add Taylor's name to a bank account? And then put the check in that bank account with Taylor's name on it, but then be telling Taylor that it's in a safety deposit box. Like, that's confusing to me. And then I was like, oh, I think what she did was she added Taylor's name to the account and so then deposited deposit the check a couple yeah. days later so that that wouldn't raise any red flags, right? Question. She adds Taylor's name to the bank account. Obviously, you need to do that in order to deposit that check because it's made out to Taylor. To Taylor, yeah. Right? It's not Taylor to Ashley. Nope. So she needs to have her on there. However... You still have to endorse that check. Mm-hmm. Did did Taylor ever in, sign the check? Yo, I'm so glad that you asked me. And I knew you were going to ask me that. That's <laughs> why I didn't put it in my script. Because I knew that at one point in this this uh, this episode, you were going to ask me that question. My wheels are turning. Yeah, I'm trying. I don't want to get too ahead, but yeah, my wheels are turning because I'm thinking that it has to be signed by Taylor in order for it to be accepted, especially that amount by the bank. So the check was signed. Said, okay. said Taylor Wright, but not signed by Taylor. Oh, yeah. They, there you go. Okay. okay. So she 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 fraudulently. Okay. I'm sure you have that coming up. But. Yeah, but this is like a big, a big he said, she said thing once again. And this is where we get into circumstantial evidence because later the police are like, hey, did you sign this check? And she's like, no, I cashed it. Ah. But I never signed it. And then okay. Taylor's girlfriend, Cassandra, is over here like, yo, Taylor wrote me letters. She wrote me notes. I've seen her sign things. This is not her handwriting. It's not her handwriting. And they did put up in court like Taylor Wright's actual signature and it obviously does not match. A handwriting expert can yeah. break that. It, 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 w- it wouldn't make sense too, by the way, because it's only for safekeeping. Right. So you wouldn't want to sign it because you have no intention on cashing it Mm-mm. or depositing it. No. It's just supposed to be in a safety deposit box. So that Jeff can't have it. That's it. That's it. But I will say this. That's just the check. Where's the actual money? Did she deposit it somewhere else and write the cash so, the check so, off of it? So Ashley deposits the check into that bank account that has Taylor's name on it. And then right. the, like immediately she transfers that money into a different bank account. Got it. Okay. Got we're going to actually okay, get to you. that. Yeah. Okay. I'm with you. I'm with you. But that's how she got it in there. She, she, you know, signed the check herself and that all, that's all going to come out. Okay. Yeah. So Taylor texted Ashley on August 29th saying, quote, I need to get the keys to the safety deposit box. I've got to get this ring in there. I can't be running around with 50K in my bag, end quote. So apparently, and once again, this isn't super clear, and it's going to be clear more later on, but uh, Taylor had a lot of jewelry, heirloom jewelry, that was apparently worth quite a bit. 
Right. And so she was kind of also sort of keeping that under wraps. Right. Because in a divorce, yeah. what's yours is mine and what's mine is yours. She, would, use, she would probably have to sell it and, she and would. give half to him. It would be considered an asset like a house or a car and she'd have to sell it and split the money with him. Right. Plus, she's saying she's got 50K in a bag. I mean, you don't want to be walking around with that either. I wonder if, if she was, was talking about 50K? the ring. I think she was talking about the ring being worth 50K. A $50,000 ring. That's wow. That's what I'm saying, man. Okay. Yeah. But now let me ask you this. She, you know, you said the check was for 34000 Where's the other, I hope my math's right here, the other 66000 Oh, we're going to get to that. Okay. All right. I'm seeing, I'm, <laughs> I'm getting excited now. All right. I got to slow down. So two days later on August 31st, Taylor texted Ashley again saying, quote, if at all possible, can we go to the bank today? I've got to get this done. My account closed and my jewelry in the safe deposit box. Court is next week. End quote. Again, on September 4th, Taylor texted Ashley saying, quote, I've got to get to the bank tomorrow, end quote. And the next day, on September 5th, she sent Ashley MacArthur a text saying, quote, any idea on a time to get to the bank, end quote. Not long after this, Taylor sent another one to Ashley saying, quote, we only have two more hours to get to the bank. Are you almost ready? End quote. Now, Ashley responded to this text telling Taylor, quote, I just called the bank. They closed at four. We have to go in the morning. What time are you free? End quote. So the next day, Taylor texted Ashley saying, quote, I have to get in that deposit box today and get those papers submitted by four. I'm out of time, end quote. A few hours later, Taylor texted Ashley again saying, quote, Ash, there's no way I will make it there and to the bank in 10 minutes, end quote. Another text also from September 6th from Taylor to Ashley said, quote, they're going to hold me in contempt for not paying child support and not putting the 25K into the escrow account, end quote. Yep, there you go. Yeah. So on September 7th, five texts were sent from Taylor to Ashley, and they are as follows. Quote, I've got to get to the bank ASAP this morning and get into that box and deposit that money. I'm going to be held in contempt if I don't get that money into the escrow account, end quote. Another text, quote, they could potentially put me in jail if I don't pay the child support like today. And another text, quote, Please don't be late. They're going to put me in jail if I don't make that deposit today. And then another text, quote, they are going to check your ID in order to get into that box. So I need you to come with me. And then another text from September 7th sent around 2 p.m. saying, quote, waiting for you at my house. Bank closes at four. This is way too important for me not to do today. I am under a court order or my ass will get thrown into jail, end quote. So I'm going to let you chew on that for a minute. And uh, mm. we're going to take our last break and then we'll be right back. All right, so we're back from break. You guys always want me to weigh in on this, but I'm sure every single person listening or watching this right now is having the same, for the most part, the same thoughts I am. There was one response earlier in the text chain, and then she goes silent as far as, you know, you're, you're, you're shaking your head no. Are you saying- It looks like, so it looks like um, Ashley did respond back. They just never told you what she said in court, which besides a couple of things- um, either way, she wasn't actually following through with it. She was making excuses, it looked like. Like, right. oh, I can't do this today. I'm really busy working. Oh, I'm not getting out of work till late, you know, et cetera, Always et cetera. something. Yeah. So let's assume that just for the sake of this, she was responding, but like you said, responding with things that ultimately didn't really help Taylor at all. You know, there's nothing there that she needed the money. She's saying, I'm going to go to jail if you don't do it. And yet she's still saying, sorry, can't help you. Um as far as the investigation's concerned and the fact that you're reading something that was from a court transcript, I'm sure this is going to come into play 
later, but just taking it at this point, just as we're see, as we're seeing it, as we're hearing it, not good. This goes back to originally her relying on a person that she knew, but not extremely well. Exactly. And she's relying on this person to not only hide money for her, but basically commit a crime. And give it and, back to her when she asks for it, right? right? That's a lot of faith in one person. Right. And then the fact that she's willing to commit this crime for you is probably right there an indicator wh- where you shouldn't be doing it. It doesn't seem like from your research or from what we've learned so far that there was an agreement to pay Ashley any amount of money out of it if she was willing to do this for her. She was just doing it as a quote unquote friend, mm-hmm. you know? And so not a good decision by Taylor to do it in the first place. And it sounds to me that Taylor did actually need the money, but she was probably having some thoughts in her own mind like, oh God, she might steal this money from me. I need of to see this. Of course she was. She was a police box. officer and right. a private investigator. That's the first place her mind's going to go, right? Right. So the ring, the ring might not even been a genuine concern. She was using it as an excuse like, I got to see the safety deposit box. I've never seen it. I, I need to see it and know that, that my check's sitting in there. And so did she need the money immediately at that point? Who knows? But she was. Yeah, because ju- she had to put she had the court. Remember, she had court on the yes, 7th girl. and they said, you got to have it in escrow. And then they rescheduled it for. She got the continuance. She got the continuance because she couldn't get into the safety deposit box. So she told right. her lawyer, tell these people I got to go help my mother from, from Hurricane Irma because she is trying to buy time, just like Jeff Wright said, because Ashley's not giving it to her. She's been texting her since August, what, 29th, asking for that money. Yeah. So we're almost like 10 days into it. Yes. Not even a little less than 10 days. But as a reasonable person and as a former police officer, all the red flags are going off right now. She's probably realizing this money, this woman's going to take off of my money. She's realizing, like, I handed this person my money and I have no control now. I can't do anything. Because what am I going to do? Call the police? (laughs) I was just going to say that. Can't report it. Can't report it. So, yeah, this is not a good situation. But but on the opposite side of it, again, we're just building a motive for why Ashley or someone who knows Ashley would have a reason to get rid of of Taylor. And because I, if the money's gone, you can't give it back. And I don't understand why Taylor didn't give the money to her girlfriend, Cassandra. Because at least now there's an extra layer of like loyalty, you know? Yeah. You would think, but maybe they felt like that was too obvious. And Jeff's lawyers could absolutely go through the court to subpoena Cassandra's bank records. Could you do that though? Because they're just girlfriend and girlfriend. They're not married. I'm not saying it would be easy, but I think it's something you could request. And I think a judge might say, yeah, I'm going to grant it because they're living together. They're sharing, you know, there's, you know, it's not like they're just dating, you know, where they're meeting up once in a while. They're living under the same household and there's a possibility they're sharing bank accounts. As with like her friends, the lawyers are going to be like, let's just go force all of Taylor's friends to show us her bank account or their bank accounts. Yeah. So that, yeah, that makes sense. And I'm not saying it would be granted, but that might've been their thought process. Like, Hey, we have to remove ourselves from this so that if they do go snooping around, they're not going to expect that we have all the money tied up in this woman, Ashley's account. Cause she's just, she's a random friend. You know, who's going to suspect that maybe Jeff didn't even know this Ashley person. I don't. He I didn't. Don't, he didn't. There you go. There you go. So how can he subpoena the record for someone he doesn't even know about? Yeah. But here's my another question, right? Because like, yeah, $34,000 is a lot of money. Like, I'm not going to say it's not. Yeah. But also, like, why would you give it to somebody if it's in the form of a check? Like, you could roll that thing up, you know, put it in like something 
lock it up, put in like a ceiling tile or something like for thirty four thousand dollars. Are they really going to be sending the FBI to your house to like sweep it for hidden checks? And I feel like there was so many better ways she could have hidden that without entrusting it to somebody that she really didn't know well enough to trust. I'm going to ask this at the sake of possibly sounding stupid because I'm not completely following it. And I'm hoping one of you guys out there asking the same question. I'm not completely following the money trail. So there's $100,000 in a bank, right? We all know it's not an actual money. It's just in the bank account. It says $100,000. Taylor removes that $100,000. Does she, does she transfer it to a different bank account or does she physically make a withdrawal of $100,000? All right. All right. So to make things more clear, let's follow the money. On July 12th, 2017, Taylor Wright withdrew $100,000 from the joint bank account that she shared with her ex-husband. On July 18th, she transferred 83000 of that to her savings account, and then she withdrew that 83000 in the form of a cashier's check. I'm with you now. Okay, right. with you so far. Taylor also took out $15,000 in cash, which she gave to Ashley to keep in a safety deposit box that Ashley claimed to have. This is not the check she gave to Ashley. This is an additional fifteen k in cash, all right? Not in a check, in cash. So on July 20th, Taylor deposited another $68,000 into her bank account and then withdrew that money in the form of two cashier checks in her name, each made out to the amount of $34,000. She gave one of these checks to Ashley to once again put in her fake safety deposit that didn't exist. But instead, Ashley deposited that $34,000 into her own account and then withdrew it in cash. So on, on July 25th, Taylor again withdrew $15,000 in cash and gave that to Ashley to keep safe in that safety deposit box that doesn't exist. So altogether, Ashley had, between the cashier check and the two $15,000 in cash, $64,000 of Taylor's money. Okay. It all makes sense to me now because it was a cashier's check. And so what you're essentially saying is the money digitally was showing up in her account, whether she's on her phone or on a computer. When she withdraws the money into a cashier's check, it, you see the withdrawal on the bank account. It doesn't notify you if that check's cashed. Yes. So exactly. that's how it's like she a does money it. order, basically. That's it. Yeah. It's basically, as far as they're concerned, the money's gone. It's in the wind. So that's all she can see. Yeah. She's not notified, hey, by the way, that the, that cashier's check was spent. Where if it's a regular check, you make the check out. And until that check is actually cashed, the money's still in your account. Yes. And that's what I was a little confused about. Like, how wouldn't she know? But now it makes perfect sense. This was in the form of a cashier's check, which essentially means that paper check was worth that amount of money. Yes. So, uh, so I get what you're saying as far as take the check and hide it in a safety, de- uh, a little metal box in your backyard and bury it. Yeah, man, p- put it up your ass or something. You know, like <laughs> I mean, I was going to go there. Like, you know, keep it on your person at that's all times. But what are they going to do? Like search you? Like strip search you for thirty four thousand dollars? You know, I just it would be so much more comfortable for me to have it on my person at all times than to give it to somebody I don't know, if, okay. you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you now. I was a little confused. I apologize if That's everyone okay. else it's is confusing. following It's confusing. It took me a minute to understand yeah, this. Yeah, I'm like yeah. writing it down. I'm sure everyone's like, we all knew, Derek. And with <laughs> with money and numbers and stuff, it's not my strong suit anyway. So I had to go over this six times today. Um, okay, I'm with you though. I'm with you now. Makes sense. She These check these pieces of paper were worth that amount in money. And, and, and then you obviously have the cash, which is even worse because that's, that can disappear very easily. $30,000 in cash was given to Ashley to keep in that safety deposit box that didn't even exist. And the they 34. Never made it there. Yeah. So no money 
ever made it to the safety deposit box. <laughs> we don't even know if it exists. It doesn't exist. It doesn't probably. exist. The check okay. was in Ashley's bank account for like four minutes before she withdrew it as cash. Uh-huh. So basically what we're talking about here is just a lot of cash all at once. Yeah, 64K gone. Somebody's looking for it. You know that this person at the end of the day is probably if they have to turn you in, they're gonna. Mm-hmm. Even though it's gonna look bad for them civilly, you're committing a crime. So I think at some point, you have to think if you're if you're Ashley, I got to figure this out because at some point Taylor's going to say, screw it. I'm just going to report it to the police and take my tongue lashings at court. I don't know if Taylor would have reported it, honestly. You think she would have had to, right? I mean, what would you guys do out there? I mean, it's one of those things where you're hiding money, not necessarily because you're trying to steal it from your husband, but you just want to make sure he doesn't steal it from you. So you take it well, she's out. Kind of trying, she's kind of trying to steal it. <laughs> so I'll, I'll give an it. I'll give an example. Like I've seen this happen before where there's a dispute going on and the other person's concerned that they might pull it out and you'll never see it again. So I can't get into her mind, but nevertheless, she's it could be held in contempt. She could go to jail for not abiding by a court order, but she hasn't been charged with a crime yet. Where if she goes to the court and says, your honor, listen, I'm going to be honest. And I know I should have been from the front and this might get me thrown in jail for contempt of court. But I gave the money to this woman. I'm gonna. Fo- I filed a police report. I was trying to keep the money in a safe spot. She stole it from me. Here's the police report. The judge is still gonna, you know, you know, hit her for that. But it's better than just saying, Your Honor, the money's gone. So I think at some point she would have eventually said, Your Honor, I screwed up. I tried to be sneaky. I gave the money to this person. They stole it from me. So for me, Taylor Wright reminds me a little bit, a little bit of myself. Where she probably she'd be dying on a lot of hills, you know what I mean? Like you she, think she would have ate it, huh? I think that that is it was very important for her to keep the upper hand. I think she wants to appear at all times to be in control and competent. And this this mistake probably made her feel stupid. And and she was like, I can handle this, I can fix it, and in the end, I can fix it to the point where I come out clean for with everybody at the end of the day. And I think that's what she was trying to do. Um, because, you know, you made a stupid mistake that you shouldn't have made. You shouldn't have trusted anybody, especially in her line of work. She should know that people are extremely motivated by money to do whatever it is that they're going to do. And, uh, I think she was like, all right, I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to let Jeff know that he's right about me delaying stuff and just trying to, you know, get the upper hand. I want to look like I am righteous in this at the end of the day. Is this our, is this our question for the week? I think it is. Yeah. What would you guys do? Sound off in the comments. Let us know. You're Taylor. You make a mistake. You're trying to be sneaky. You're trying to hide the money. At some point, I think if you're getting, if you're the other end of these text messages where you're sending them and these are the responses you're getting, at some point, do you report it to the authorities? Or as Stephanie said, do you try to make it right? Do you try to get the money from somewhere else? You try to make an agreement with Jeff outside of court or just try what, to freaking get the money back from Ashley at all costs. Right. right? <laughs> what, what What's the next option though? If you're texting her and she just won't show up, what do you do? Tie that bitch up, man. Mm, interesting. So you're going, so now you're really getting, I mean, I don't know. I'm interested to hear what people have to, people have to say about this one because it is an ethical dilemma where there's a lot of, there's a gray area. Like, what do you do? You know, you're, you're covering up one bad thing with another bad thing yeah that's you know, how it, you're, that's you're how, that's how it works man that's how everything snowballs <laughs> okay yeah i mean yeah this is a story you hear a lot right where one small issue becomes a bigger issue and now we're talking about it on crime weekly because it leads to something like this i mean what she was doing was illegal 
Yes. Yeah. Would the judge yes. have been more favorable to her if she came forward and said, sorry, I was wasting your time and this court's time and everybody's time because I made a stupid decision and gave money to somebody I shouldn't have while she's also trying to get custody of her son. And this this case where what she's doing with the money may impair her chances at, at getting the custody that she wants of her son. This is probably all running through her head. And she also views herself as somebody that can take care of herself, a kind of a lone wolf, you know? So that's interesting. Are you saying that what she did at that moment in court was illegal by taking that money? Yeah. Cause see, that's where I would that's where I would argue as far as the reasoning behind why you would why you would go to the police on on Ashley. Because here's the thing the money in that account. It was being disputed whose was whose, right? Like even Jeff was saying only 30 of it was yeah, mine. Yeah. But they hadn't, so the court still, hadn't made a decision yet of what right. the split should be. It was kind of like so, a preliminary, like this is probably what you're going to get and this is probably exactly. what you're going to get. Yeah. So if you went to the authority, so, and I'm not trying to be a lawyer here, but technically did she commit a crime yet because she didn't take money that wasn't not hers yet? You know, the judge I don't know. Had Do you consider contempt it. of court to be a crime? That is a crime. So, so then, she yes, would be, she would. She committed a crime. What she did was illegal. Okay, so you're saying the contempt of court by not abiding by what the judge had ordered was the crime, not necessarily the taking of the money. Yeah, yet. she literally said, like, I'm with she you. said to Ashley several times, like, I could go to jail for this. She would yeah, have absolutely. gone to jail for it. One thousand percent. All right, I'm with you. So she was committing a crime as far as not going with the judge's orders, but even that is a misdemeanor. I'm thinking you roll the dice there and you say, Your Honor, you were right. Jeff was right. The money's gone. I can't make up for it. But I have a police report here to prove that I'm not trying to be in contempt of court. I'm trying to get the money back. I'm trying to put it in escrow. But this woman who I filed a police report on is refusing to give me the money back. Way off in the comments. Way off in the yeah, comments. Yeah, but you're on thinking like a logical person. We don't know what was going on with Taylor right now. Was That's she fair. was she doing drugs? You know, was it more than three times? Was this a regular thing? People when they're on Coke, man, they're not making no logical decisions. Yeah. You know, she was definitely making some poor decisions and obviously it started with her, you know, giving the money to somebody else as opposed to just like we both said, you know, keeping it in a in a in a box somewhere where you know where it is and nobody else. But and again, the reason we're spending so much time on this. Because I'm sure people are like, okay, we get it. It's context. Shouldn't get the. It's the context of we're trying to figure out why why, why this happened. Yeah. And this is a money motivates a lot of people, both positively and negatively. So it, it's something we really got to dissect because I have a feeling one way or another this money is going to play a huge factor in in what happened to Taylor. So, uh, you know, I think it's important to talk about because the decisions she made in this moment definitely may have been part of the reason she ended up the way that she did. Yeah, and we don't really know what what the heck was going on behind the scenes with Taylor and Ashley. Like, you also have to remember, Ashley's husband was in the police department. He still knew a lot of people in the police department. So maybe Taylor felt like, at least in this area, Pensacola, am I really going to go to the police station where Ashley worked as a crime scene technician, where her husband worked as a sheriff's deputy? Am I going to go there and file this claim against against these people or at least Ashley? And how well is this going to go for me? Yeah. No, you're right. 100% right. Especially with the law enforcement aspect to it. Well, I I think, you know, the, the prosecution and the defense during the trial, they kind of made it seem like Taylor trusted Ashley. And so Taylor didn't really know at this point that the money was missing. But I disagree. I think 
that she knew as soon as she started sending those texts. Agreed. That Ashley had done something sketchy. Mm -hmm. So the evening of September 7th, Taylor and her girlfriend, Cassandra, they went to a dinner. They went to dinner at a place called Twin Peaks on Bayou Boulevard. And Ashley actually met them there at the restaurant. Cassandra, that's Taylor's girlfriend, she said that the atmosphere between Ashley and Taylor was tense. And although Taylor did not get enraged or yell at Ashley, she asked her during this meal, you know, why are you making it so difficult to get my money? Now, during the trial, the defense was talking to Cassandra and they were like, you know, you would say that Taylor's like a strong person who doesn't, you know, hold back how she feels like she can get passionate. She can get angry. And Cassandra was like, yeah. And they said, well, was she yelling at Ashley? Was she pounding on the table? Was she freaking out? And Cassandra was like, no, but she was clearly like agitated and worried. And they tried to use this to show that Taylor was not really worried that that Ashley had stolen her money. But in my opinion, Taylor was probably a little bit more meek than usual and a little calmer than usual because at this point she doesn't have any control. She doesn't have any of the cards. Ashley's got her money. Ashley knows where it's at. Ashley's name is on this fake safety deposit box that Taylor needs Ashley to go to the bank and show her ID to get into it. So is she going to start yelling at this girl? Is she going to be like freaking out and threatening her? No, she's going to try to keep it calm and nice. Couldn't agree with you more. Everything you just said times two. You know what I mean? It's it's one of those things where you can get as mad as you want, but you don't want to turn this person off either because as you just said, they hold all the cards. I will say interesting choice in uh, the restaurant that they would choose Twin to go Peaks. to. Twin Peaks. I know. So do, cool. Do you know what you know what Twin Peaks um, is, right? I love Twin Peaks. You see that skeleton behind me? His name's Dale Cooper, the best detective okay. on the face of the earth. Well, I mean, I'm sitting right here, Stephanie. Jesus. Yeah, he, he's, still, he's still a little better. I'm kidding. <laughs> but Twin Peaks is uh, basically like a... I've never been to Twin Peaks, honestly. I'm not just saying that to save me, but Twin Peaks is essentially like a Hooters, isn't it? Wait, the there's a rest, there's a restaurant chain called Twin Peaks? Yeah, and it's, it's basically, if you search it, it's... The it's a it's the I think like the Midwest version of like Hooters where all Hold the on, girls dress scandalous. We have something like that here, but it's called something else. I forget what it's called. No, I'm pretty sure Twin Peaks is uh oh but look oh at the, yeah, that's Twin Peaks, dude. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh what well, what we have here we used to have Hooters, but now we have something called the Twisted Kilt. So very very similar. Similar, but Twin, Twin Peaks, Peaks. I think it's in Dallas. I yes. get it. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> oh, I'm so naive, man. I was thinking it was about the, you know, the cool, the cool ass TV show. That's when you were saying Detective Coop. I'm like, what are you talking about? You've never about seen right Twin now? Peaks? No. Oh, my God. I had no clue what you were talking about. Yeah. And that's you why ha- I'm thinking- you should watch it. It's a, it's epic. But listen to their, their tagline Welcome to the Lodge, Manatality. So right. that's, I, I'm pretty sure that's the Twin Peaks. Oh, they my were God. Wow. Mind blown. No, yeah. TwinPeaksRestaurant.com wants to know your location. No, thank you, ma'am. So listen, yeah. this actually checks out, though, because from what I know about Ashley, she was the kind of girl who liked to hang out in these very seedy establishments. She liked to go to strip clubs, stuff like that. You know, she was uh, one of the guys. She had that mentality, if you know what I mean. There you go. So this checks out. See, Stephanie thought she knew this case inside and out, but I was able to. Well, you know, my mind, I see Twin Peaks and I think what a cool thing to name a restaurant. Like that was a badass show. So creepy. So cool. Yeah. And then we have yeah. this. And now not, we're, not cool. we're going to have like Twin Peaks waitresses sounding off like Derek's here every week. What are you talking about? <laughs> Yo, shut up. <laughs> Listen, there is a strip club right across from the airport where I live and it's called something weird. But the best name for the strip club, they should change it. They should call it the Landing Strip. I've been saying that for years. Oh, God. 
tell me that's not the coolest name for a strip club right across from an airport. No, that's a that's a good I one. Know. I feel uncomfortable with this conversation now. I feel like I can't I can't I can't win in this in these answers. So I'm just gonna you can keep I already given too much. I'm already telling to you what Twin Peaks is. Yeah, exactly. Okay, let's get back. <laughs> okay, later. So they they have this dinner together because Sandra's like super tense. Ashley's pretty much staying like you know chill, calm, collected, acting like, you know, what? Why are you mad? What's going on? I've just been really busy with work. And Taylor's saying to her, why are you making it so hard to get my money back? Later, Cassandra claims that Taylor told her she felt that Ashley was making excuses about why they could not go to the bank. And this was causing Taylor, you know, a lot of anxiety and stress. And I mean, yeah, because this was the 7th of September. This was the day she was supposed to be in court and have that money in escrow, but she asked for a continuance. And I think they gave her until like the 14th or the 17th. I can't remember, but the, the clock's running down, right? And um, and apparently, you know, Taylor coming out and sort of expressing her distaste at this to Ashley, saying, why are you making it so hard to get my money? This caused Ashley to say, all right, let's make plans. Ashley and Taylor did make plans for the next morning. Ashley said she would pick Taylor up from Cassandra's place and they would both go to the bank and get the money. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy, like nothing to it, right? This is September 8th. That would be the next day, September 8th. And that's the last time that anyone would see Taylor Wright alive. Well, you know, everyone except for the person who ended her life, her killer. That was the last person to see her alive. She's got plans with Ashley. They're going to go to the bank, get the money. Cassandra sees Ashley. Cassandra sees Taylor that morning. She's like, bye, guys. And she never sees Taylor again. And that's where we're going to end today. So you are saying, because I was going to ask you and I was like, I don't know if we're saving it for next week, but you are saying that not only did they make plans on the 7th at Twin Peaks to meet up the following day, Mm -hmm. you're telling me that on September 8th, after making those plans, Cassandra saw Taylor and Ashley leave together to go to the bank okay so technically she didn't see them leave together she was home she does like volunteer work she's a she's works for a school administrator so she does volunteer work and she had to do some volunteer work that morning so she saw she saw taylor in the morning they had breakfast she said taylor was acting pretty normal in the morning but then as the day progressed and it got closer to the time when um ashley was supposed to be there to pick her up cassandra said taylor started getting kind of some nervous energy and then ashley showed up Cassandra was like, hey, Ashley, bye, Ashley, because she had to go to do her volunteer thing. And then when she got home, Taylor wasn't there. And Cassandra starts texting Taylor and calling her, trying to figure out what happens. And then, you know, we'll go we'll go from there. Okay. The last known person that we have as we leave this episode is Cassandra leaves. But also when she leaves, Taylor and Ashley are Are together. together. Yes. Okay. Enough said. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I know. I don't want to. I feel like there's going to be a twist here or something. So I know what what it, it's reading and how it sounds at this point. Um, my initial impressions is you have obviously Jeff, who's out a bunch of money right now. Um, you have a, a his you know ex wife who's trying to get custody of his child, who he clearly doesn't think should be in her custody at any point because of the things going on. Well, not at any point. Her, you know she she has- yeah unsupervised. Well, she was with him for basically a whole month and a half, you know, okay. with her son. So, so maybe I'm over, I'm overstepping there, but he doesn't feel like she feels like there's some, he, I think he, the son, their son's better off with him. I think he felt that she wasn't ready to have Drake full time. Okay. So you have that issue. So there's some motive there. And then now you have Ashley who, you know, there's a ton of motive coming up here. She doesn't have the money. We know she doesn't have the money. 
And you're telling me that she went missing on September 8th. And it just so happens that the last person to be seen with Taylor, with Taylor was Ashley. Yeah. I'm interested to see where this one goes. No, I'm gonna try it's really good. not to do any more research yeah. on it. Yeah. Because I, I kinda want I it mean, now. it gets it gets cra- it gets crazy. Like there's gonna be some things I tell you and you're gonna be like, no, you're making this up. But no, okay. it's true. All and right. I would ask you guys, I know that some people probably know this case, and if you're watching on YouTube, I appreciate you watching the videos, even though you know this case, but just try not to like put what happens in the comments, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, no spoilers. Yeah, that's a good point. Don't, you know, because there is a sequential like timeline that this follows and there's so many factors that kind of lead up to the the ending and the conclusion. So I would just let, you know, like people to, to experience that organically. Absolutely. I agree. Um, I'm going to do the same mm-hmm. and it's going to be hard because I do have a little bit of an understanding. The overview, I obviously know she's deceased, things like that. Uh, did, did you say, you know, we can say that, right? Yeah. Yeah. They, her body was found about a month after she went missing. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to get too much. I want to keep going with you guys. And if I know the rest of the story, it's not going to be as organic. So I'll reserve judgment on that. We'll wait. I know my two persons of interest at this point are Jeff and and obviously Ashley. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to see who else comes into the fold. It's interesting <laughs> that you said earlier in the episode that that Ashley has this family who has these locations and warehouse, all these things where they store stuff. I wonder if that, cause you brought it, I know you and I know you don't put stuff in there just for fluff. So I, as a storyteller, I always think about why is she telling me this? So I'm interested to see how that plays in later, but fascinating case so far for sure. Yeah. Ashley, it looked like her family was sort of, I don't want to say like prominent, but sort of well, well known. off, right? I mean, they got a business. Well off. Uh, Ashley was an only child. So, I mean, there's that. <laughs> only children that are complicated but she seemed to have a very good relationship with her parents very loved by her parents um and and not only does her family have this this uh business but they have you know several pieces of property and farms and things like that around florida and it, and it seemed that they were kind of well known in the community so we'll see. It, I see where you're going. You're foreshadowing. Yeah, it, it, it goes. It goes places. All right. All right. Wait till you hear. Wait till you hear about Ashley's Ashley's boyfriend. Oh no! Oh no! There's more coming to this. Yeah. Oh, quickly. Just want to say thank you to everybody. I've been reposting all of your mentions when you mentioned you're wearing the Crime Weekly merch. We've you know we've had a lot of that. You guys look great in all of it. You basically are models because if you noticed, not only am I reposting the merch, but then I'm saving it as a highlight on the Instagram page so that everybody else can see you guys forever. You're you're memorialized on our page where people will now see you as our models. Thank you for your service. We appreciate you guys showing off the gear. Thank you for your service. (laughs) (laughs) We appreciate it. We, we haven't paid you for it, but we're going to use you guys because you're, you're showing Mm -hmm. it off great. And you're beautiful. Uh, And you're beautiful. And anybody who hasn't picked up anything yet, if you want for the holidays, I would recommend Getting the orders in sooner than later, it there is this complete bottleneck as far as items are concerned across the country, yeah. all over the world, where just the supplies to make these shirts and all that, there's a there's definitely a bottleneck. So if you want to check it out, head on over to crimeweeklypodcast.com slash shop. It's going to take you over to the Bonfire website. Get your orders in now for the holidays. If you want it for Christmas, strongly recommend you do it now. It There is a little bit of a turnaround time, and I don't want you guys to be hitting us up saying, oh, I was doing it as a Christmas present. I didn't get it. There's no guarantees. But if you want to have the best shot, I would order it now. Yeah. And make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, Derek and I are going to start going live, you know, whenever we can on on the Crime Weekly page. But we just did 
what, just a couple of days ago, we went live for like almost three hours, I feel yeah, like. it was fun. It was a lot of fun, and it lets us unwind, and we really want to connect with you guys on a more personal level. So keep an eye out if you're not following us on the Crime Weekly YouTube page and you kind of want to be a part of these lives, even if you don't want to watch the episodes that you've already listened to, at least follow us for the lives because we have a lot of fun. It's a great point. We have a lot of audio listeners that are just audio listeners. That is another aspect that we can't do with the audio mm-hmm. version. So it's a whole different community. We had what, like maybe like a little over a thousand people mm-hmm. and, and it was consistent. We were talking. I'm not even gonna give the spoilers away. We we had some good interaction with one of our uh people, Theo. Shout out Theo. Oh Theo. <laughs> <laughs> oh Theo. We're Theo Wilma. <laughs> it, w- it was a good night. We had a lot of fun. I bet you we Theo, only plan on I bet going you on Theo for likes Twin Peaks, man. I bet you he does. Or we say, we're assuming it's a guy. I don't even know. Regardless, I think Theo likes Twin Peaks. I, I would. They, I, it looks like I wouldn't know. They got a bomb maybe. French onion soup. It looks like. I've heard. I've heard the food's amazing. We're gonna have to check it out. That's it. Good. Good case. On to the next one. Part two. To, uh, next week. Part two right? next week. Make sure you guys join us for it. Make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube so you can catch us live. Follow us on social media. Go to our website, crimeweeklypodcast.com to leave us a speak pipe or to shop the merch store or to just I don't know say hello. Absolutely. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Later.